Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Ray sits down with Dr. Matt Rawlings, founder of Green Bench Consulting and Broken Top Leadership. But it has to start within, okay, God, how do I be fully present in a way that is accepting my limitations, aware of my brokenness, which is to hide, and that I have a, a gift, and it's a small gift, and it does itty-bitty things in the larger picture of things, but that's what I bring, and that's what I'm going to try to be faithful with to God, and He gets to figure out how He's going to get glory from it. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, and we'd like to welcome you back to another episode. We have a chance to interview some of the most amazing Christ followers, CEOs, business owners, executives, consultants, the occasional athlete or celebrity, and we have a conversation with them about eternal business real life, about the integration and the intersection of faith and biblical principles in the way they lead and live on a daily basis. And we are so very honored and thankful that you would join us for this week's episode here at Bottom Line Faith. We've been on the program now for a little better than two years, and uh, for the most part, for the most part, we have interviewed U.S.-based leaders over the last couple years. However, on today's program, we have a really special treat for you. We've got a real international flavor, and calling in all the way from Singapore, and there's a 12-hour time difference, so uh, I'm recording in the morning time, and our guest today is recording in the early evening time. Folks, help me welcome Dr. Matt Rollins, who is the founder of Green Bench Consulting and Broken Top Leadership. Good morning, my time. Good evening, your time. Matt, how are you? <laughs> good evening. The future is good. I can tell you the future is here for you. <laughs> well, I am excited about the conversation that we're going to have around leaders, leadership and living out faith in the marketplace. And before we get into that part of the conversation, you're calling in from Singapore. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what brought you to Singapore, how long you've been there, maybe an interesting tidbit or two about the country. Yeah, so the, Singapore is a nation state, island state. It's the bottom of the Malaysian peninsula, just above Indonesia. It's, uh, what, six million people? And we speak, we're predominantly four people groups Chinese, Indian, Malay, and, and then Europeans. And I first came here in 83. I was with YRAM from 83 to 88. Left in 88. Went back to the U.S., did some graduate work, came back in 2005, started a consulting company, and uh, have been here ever since. So I, my wife and I were thinking the other day, we've spent uh, uh, most of our, this is the longest place we've lived in our married life, has been in Singapore, and it's a great place. I mean, it's a beautiful city, beautiful people, and uh, we love being here. And weather? Tell us about what the, what's the weather like. 
Well, it's hot and then hotter. It's hot and humid, basically. We're just north of the equator. And uh, yeah, you don't have to worry about getting cold, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, it's tropical. And so tell us a little bit about the spiritual climate of Singapore. And I think that's going to play into our conversation today. But uh, just tell us more about that. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a unique place. In, in, the, in one sense, it has no right to exist because it has no natural resources. We have no... As an island state, you can, you can go anywhere just about in 20 minutes driving across the island. Approximately 50 years ago, I left Malaysia, uh, actually got kicked out, and they started their own country, Lee Kuan Yew. A lot of people call it the Antioch of Asia. It's a very unique place with uh, multiple um, religious, multiple peoples, multiple, um, and the government is, is, a, is a strong government, but they're very caring. They've done a great job in reaching out to people and setting up some systems. And um, yeah, the, God has been at work here for many years. In the 70s, we had a revival here, just a sovereign revival where thousands and thousands of people got saved. So it's a very unique place. It's a nice blend of uh, introducing between Asia and the Western. It's very safe. I can walk any place. But you got just diverse foods and peoples, and it's really quite a great place to be. That's good. I appreciate that. That's, that's some good foundational background, and, and I know that's going to play in, in contextually to our conversation today. And so, Matt, you're described as a passionate educator and an author. And in fact, you've written how many books? Well, it depends on how you count, but there's about 16 of them out there. I've got about eight for the marketplace and about eight in the language of the church. That is incredible. So you spent much of your life writing, and you really have this passion for leadership and development and communication. In fact, you've got your PhD in leadership and communication. And by the way, Matt, Green Bench Consulting, Broken Top Leadership, tell us the difference, and then I want to have you share with our audience how they can reach out to you. So tell us the difference between Green Bench and Broken Top. One of the first books that I wrote 25 years ago is dialogue between an old school manager and a, uh, an old school teacher and a young manager was just leadership and change. And it was called the green bench because that's where they sit and talk about this. And so my, my marketplace side of my business where I do consulting in the marketplace with the government, the civil service college, the coaches, executives, and site is all done on that platform. And then on my, um, in the religious language side, I, my, ministry side is Broken Top Leadership. There's a mountain in, in Oregon called Broken Top. I love the double metaphor of Broken Top hmm. Leadership Institute, both as a mountain that's majestic and also in the language of that we're broken people and we need grace to be who God has called us to be. So those are the, those are the two pieces. I mean, I, I got the books. I put out a daily devotional on the Broken Top side if people are interested. But those are the, those are the two spheres that I operate in, and I, I enjoy both of them tremendously. I, I love the marketplace, love working, engaging people in heartfelt conversations and helping them figure out what's going on inside of them. And if someone's interested in reaching out to you, connecting, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, the simplest way, we're setting up a little system. We have a free audio book. They can connect at matthewrollins.org or brokentopleadership.com is where they could um, find out uh, a little bit more about that side. The greenbench.com is on the business side. So they can Google um, on Amazon some of the books. And you know, if, they, if they're, if, you know, if technology the way it is, they just need to kind of poke around a little bit and they can, yeah. they can come up with something. All roads will lead to you, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, as you look back over the course of your career, 
What do you see as some of the challenges for Christian leaders, whether that be in the church leadership arena or in business? Yeah, the story will kind of illustrate this. I, you know, I grew up in America, so uh, you know, rather monoculture, rather one-dimensional in my in my kind of thinking and interacting. And the first church I'd gone to, a very conservative church, they didn't allow instruments in the in the church. So I had really kind of a funny idea of God. Then I, I went overseas. I was working in Siphon at the time. And, you know, I'm in the U.S. I was trying to grow facial hair because I figured, you know, I'm 21 years old. I want to grow facial. If I could just grow a mustache, I'd be a man. So this is kind of my internal dialogue. I want to be a man and I want facial hair. And then I get out and I'm in Saipan and uh, there's a little tomorrow boy where I was at the school and he's fascinated that I had hair on my lip and he was running his finger over this hair on my lip going, oh. And I'm thinking, you know, this, this kind of, idea hits me and it's like, okay, in one country, if you have facial hair, you're a, you're a man. In another country, if you have your facial hair, you're a freak. And, um, and it really kind of opened my eyes to be able to go, well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to, what is strength? What is really the, the journey that I have been gone on over these last years is because I've worked with so many different cultures, so many I've traveled extensively. And what does it mean to be human? And that's really the the thing that I discover more and more, and it's not just a Christian one, when I work in governments and work with some of the people there, you get involved in the system and then all of a sudden you're just a piece or, you know, in a cog and a machine and, and you just kind of get turning it out. And a lot of work that I do is trying to help people remember that we're humans and what does it mean to be human and how do we engage life? And the feelings are just as important as rationale. And, and that's really this, this sense of, of a lot of the work that I do when I'm helping people that are stuck or helping systems that need adjusting or changing or you know anything from family to what does it mean to be human is a fundamental question that I think uh, we continue to wrestle with the core of our systems that we're working in. You talk a lot about leading through tension and being yeah. fully present in the midst of tension. Would you just take a few minutes and walk us through what do you mean by that, or what, what's the issue that, that really is at the core there? Yeah, so a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, in Asia, we, we have an idea of trying to deal with tension, and the government's trying to deal with tension, and I run tension workshops because it's, it really is a core element that we're wrestling with, because, you know, sometimes in Asia, we translate that it, harmony means the absence of tension, or in the church, oftentimes, in the West, we think that uh, unity means the absence of tension. And one of the things that I realized when I was doing my research, now let me be the first to say, and I, I, I'm a coward at heart. I don't like tension, and my first response is to hide. I mean, that's, let me just put that right out there. Now, I don't study this because I feel like I'm good at tension. I study it because I feel like I'm really weak at it. And as I began to go back and look at it and look at um, dealing with different people in different cultures, there's one thing that we, we are in common struggling with as a norm, and that is tension. And tension, um, the word, when I use the word tension, I'm not dealing, talking about conflict. I'm just talking about a difference, a difference of opinions, perspectives, personalities, or whatever, but anything that has a difference to it. And so when I, when I fell in love with God, which, as you know, is always a bit of a dangerous thing because it, a greater love uh, opens you up to things that you can't see in your own limited love. And I, I thought, okay, God, how do you view tension? And I realized that God views it radically different than I do. I mean, if you look at, if I like hanging out in Genesis. If you look in Genesis, God puts a tree in a garden with Adam and Eve that creates tension. He allows the serpent to come into the garden, which creates tension. 
when he creates Adam, which had Adam and Adam, Adam male and Adam female in this being, and then he rips the woman out of Adam male, and he says, now put yourselves back together. Well, you talk about tension. I mean, you know, and then you start to think, okay, the very definition of the name of God, you know, he's one and he's three. Well, come on, it, it, this creates tension for me. And so I began to see that God views tension and diversity in a very different way. And I, I look out of the bankruptcy of my soul at, ten, at tension and I'm terrified of it. And God looks out of the abundance of his love at tension and he goes, I celebrate it. So it's, it's that with, that got me kind of thinking about this. And then there's a lot of work that people are dealing with change. And change is, is represented best in regards to tension. So a lot of the work when you're dealing with leaders and organizations is, uh, you could call it change management, you could call it whatever you want to call it, but that's that essence of dealing with tension. And I, I just began to realize that that's kind of that cutting edge, that leverage point in our relational capacity for us to be able to deal with tension. If we can deal with tension, we can, we can develop and grow. If we can't, we become less and less and diminished in the process. Okay, this is very intriguing to me, and I want to put a context to this. <laughs> You're yeah. defining tension as a difference of opinion, maybe a different uh, perspective and so forth, yeah. and you're not defining it necessarily as conflict. However, yeah. I, I want to talk about social media for just a moment, because if there's anything yeah. that exists in the world today where we've lost the ability to have a different viewpoint and different yeah. perspectives yeah. that lead to conflict— what are your thoughts about, you know, where we are as a, as a human race in terms of just the ability to, to, to carry on meaningful dialogue with difference of opinion? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And it's, it, I wish I could answer it simply because, it, it, you know, it might sound far more profound. But I think that the essence of it is the accumulated aspect of people who have not done their inner work, who have not really settled who they are in God, don't know how to enter into to a situation and be present in the midst of tension with minimum anxiety. We become reactive, and so there's a stimulus response, and, and we feel vulnerable, and then we become anxious, and then it escalates, and then I, my anxiety goes up, and then your anxiety goes up, and then my anxiety goes up, and then your anxiety goes up. Pretty soon, we're feeding on each other in a vicious cycle, and that's never going to get us anywhere. I mean, with the, with the technology today of what we're dealing with, it's, it's a fruitless exercise for us to be involved in it. What we've got to do, and I, I think, honestly, if we created a way to have honest, vulnerable conversations with people... And let the, let the static, you know what I mean, the, the noise be what it is. But really sat down and said, I'd like to hear you, and I'd like to share a perspective, and, and listen at a heart level, and engage people. I think we could lead the way in this as we go forward in this process. But the church, unfortunately, is just as reactive and just as anxious and just as up in arms about it all, rather than being able to be present with minimum anxiety. And I, and I think it feeds off of each other, and it, you know, I... I don't want to make it too sound too weird, but it really settles into a demonic plan where he, Satan doesn't want us to think, he doesn't want us to talk, he doesn't want us to engage, he just wants us reacting at kind of the most base elements of humanity. So we, we, we just can't play by the world's rules. That's, that's just not the way we're going to overcome. Jesus, it's interesting, but the only person Jesus ever silenced was the demons, and they were speaking the truth. You know, I mean, he wasn't to silence people. He just said, I want a level platform, and I want to speak for the kingdom of God. I want to set in context that speaks most relevantly to who you are, and then you get to be able to decide, and I'm not going to play in this power game or defensive, reactive control game. Okay, so I'd like to maybe just drill down just a little deeper on this. Good. 
So l- let's say that um, you know, I'm a business owner. Maybe I'm a, uh, a manager leading a team. Yeah. And let's just say that, that I have somebody in my organization that I don't like them and they don't like me. We just don't get along and there's just this continual tension. Maybe give us some yeah. framework about how we can still be productive and still you know, shoot bullets in the same yeah. direction, if you will. How, how do I deal yeah. with people that are just so different than me? Well, the reason why difference scares people is because they haven't resolved it within themselves. In other words, so the first thing Adam does is hide, okay? And he hides from himself, not from God. God hasn't changed. It's Adam that's changed. So he's hiding from himself. He's hiding from what's going to reveal about him. So the, the fundamental questions that God asks Adam are the same. They're really relevant and they're continuing. The first question is, where are you? The second question is, who told you? And the third question is, have you eaten? The first one deals with an honest, vulnerable reality, not outside of myself, but inside of me. And then the second question is, who have you given authority? Who are you listening to? Who's defining your life? And then the third question is, what are you responsible for? When I'm working with people, the biggest challenge is, and even when I do this here with in the marketplace, in these places, I tell them, one of the things you've got to accept is that tension doesn't make you feel something. It only reveals what's inside. So you can't make me feel anything. You can only reveal my resident insecurity or my frustration. And that's what we have to own first. Because, you know, Jesus does get angry, but he never walks around going, you guys make me so angry. <laughs> because he, he's not. He, he's not saying you're making me feel anything. He's engaging fully present and then bringing salt and light and truth into the presence as he's engaging people with minimum anxiety. So the leader of a nation all the way down, a pastor, a business leader, the first thing you got to realize is the people in your organization or your culture or the world can't make you anything. And the tension is only revealing your resident insecurity. That's then an opportunity for me to embrace it, look at what's going on inside of me, own it, invite God into it as God of comfort, spirit of you know empowerment and, and all of that and then say okay now god what are my options and create a gap between stimulus and response what we used to call character so that then i could start to look at options and rather than being so reactive and if i can do that then when a leader brings minimum anxiety then that then the people in the, in the organization are minimal anxiety it creates a safer place and almost half of the emotional angst of it goes away and then we can start to have conversations that we need to have I have a good friend of mine who says, he has a great question. I've heard him say this dozens of times in front of an audience, says, if somebody spits on you, does it make you mad? And of course, most people, yeah, wow, that really makes me mad. He says, no, it makes you wet. You choose to get mad. You choose to get angry. Yeah, right. And I think that's what you're talking about, is not only does it reveal yeah. what's inside, but we have to own what's inside as well. Right. And so why is... It's so difficult, even for Christians who, you know, we have the Holy Spirit within us. Why is it still so difficult, Matt, for us to um, deal in in tension? Yeah, well, we live in a broken world, and it's a bit scary. And uh, we're we're most scared of what's inside of us. So starting with Adam and Eve, Adam blamed God, you know, the woman you gave to me. He blamed the devil. The devil made me do it. So it's so much easier to stay out there. And Jesus didn't buy the argument. He said, no, it's what's inside of a man that corrupts a man. And he's trying to lead us back. So the heart is both a love and hate relationship with it. We we want a heart, but we, we want it on our terms and we want to develop it. So part of this 
struggle is we really don't want to know what's going on inside. I don't, I don't blame people in the strict sense. I don't like looking inside. I don't like what I've discovered. But if I want a greater love, then I got to be able to figure out what God loves about me. And the more I love, the more I figure out what's inside of me, the more amazed I am at his love, which deepens my capacity to be able to engage the world. So it's a, it's a bit of a conundrum, um, but the, it always begins inside of us, and God works his way out in this process. It's no small task, but it's worth the adventure. Absolutely. This is really helpful because it really does cause us to take a deep, hard look at where we are when our in our spiritual walk and understanding who and what we've been created to be by, by our Lord. And this is really, really important conversation. And so I want to continue then just a little bit f- further into this whole vein of dealing with tension and differences and so forth. Yeah. And you've really had to live this out, right? Being in Singapore and in, 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 in an environment with incredible diversity, um, uh, cultural yeah. diversity, uh, religious diversity, and so forth. What are some of the lessons that you have learned about living and working and dealing in such a diverse culture that may be transferable to someone listening to our conversation in the marketplace and how they can learn to deal with people of different backgrounds and persuasions and beliefs and value systems? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I've wrestled with over the years, growing up in a conservative conservative church and being more interested as Jesus is a form of fire insurance than relationship and kind of rules and all of that. I, you know, it's a dangerous thing to fall in love with God. And when I fell in love with God, I really did fall in love with him. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get to know him. So the last 40 years, it's really been a journey of spending intensive time studying and reading and figuring out who he is. And one of the things that, that I have kind of wrestled with and focused on for a season, I'm trying to kind of build a name for it here in Singapore Youth, it is, is trying to talk about what does humility mean? Because I think humility is a key word that, that uh, is fundamental for the days in which we live in. So I'll give you a very simple three-part process that I work with. When I, because humility will allow us to be able to engage just about anybody in place. The three pieces of humility are we are finite, broken, and gifted. It's not new. Andrew Murray said we're created sinners and saints. But I can't use that language in the marketplace. And when I deal with people, I've got to use a different language. So I've translated it to be in order to, to deal with people from any culture in any place and to deal with human relation systems and to be effective, you've got to realize that you're finite, which means you're limited. You don't know everything. You don't know how to know it. You don't have to know everything. And you can engage people from a finite perspective. Second piece is we're broken and that I own my brokenness and I need grace in my life. And to the degree I own that, I make space for you to be broken. And character limits the capacity of brokenness to kind of eke out of me and ruin some relationships that are really important to me. And then the third area is that I'm gifted. I bring a gift. I have a unique voice. I have a capacity to speak, express some aspect of God that nobody else does. And so those three things are constantly at work in our lives. And it's not an either or, but it's it's awareness of working with them and recognizing that those are in someone else's life. And in that interaction, then you can engage with anyone you can engage with anyone, any place. And it doesn't mean you'll get along because some people don't want to deal with their brokenness. Some people don't want to admit that they don't know. But it has to start within. Jesus wasn't worried about other people. He was worried about who he was and then bringing the presence of God into those things. And that, that's what I try to do. I just try to, okay, God, how do I be fully present in a way that is accepting my limitations, aware of my brokenness, which is to hide, 
and that I have a, a gift and it's a small gift and it does itty bitty things in, in the larger picture of things, but that's what I bring and that's what I'm going to try to be faithful with to God and he gets to figure out how he's going to get glory from it. Okay, so how, how does this play out in a world that is so performance-based? I mean, yeah. you know, someone listening to our conversation and it's, you know, hey, I've got to perform for customers or my leadership or yeah. my employees. You know, it's performance, performance, performance. So how do you, I don't know, balance that? How do you deal with that when we're in a performance-driven world and yet yeah. needing to live and lead with humility? Yeah. Well, you know, performance, we're, we're called to do stuff. So that's the question isn't performance because Adam was called the steward. Adam and Eve were called the steward of the world. So yeah. the problem isn't the stewarding. And I believe me, Ray, we deal with this in Singapore a lot because we're a meritocracy. We're defined by what we do. So we've got a very refined version of this, which basically says, whatever I do defines me. And the kingdom switches around and goes, no, I'm defined by God. And then I express who I am. And what I express is, is, a, is out of who I am, an expression of my value. And when we switch that, then we're not seduced by meritocracy. We're not seduced by performing. We can say to people, listen, I got eight hours to do this job. You're helping me to prioritize. That's fine. You help me clarify expectations. That's fine. Let's have a difficult conversation. But you can't ask me to do more than it is possible for me to do. And so I can have that conversation only when I have taken the kind of the thorn out of my heart that says I'm defined by what I do. And as soon as I take that thorn out, then you can argue at me till you're blue in the face. Um, you can't affect my position, role, or value in God, and I can talk about it. Now, it's easy to say in the abstract, but boy, when you get into those situations, oh, I, I, you know, so easy. I mean, I was going down the other day, I'm teaching, I was teaching intention at the, at the civil service college, so I walked over to get some uh, local food called Popia, and the little lady there, she's, a, she's become a friend of mine, and, and, and she gave me back the wrong amount of money. Well, in that moment, I immediately, my natural tendency is begin to withdraw, not say anything and walk away. I mean, I'm a big Ongmo, which is, you know, Westerner here. And, uh, you know, I walked back and then I told the story to those guys and I said, see, my response, I've got a PhD in difficult conversations, but my first automatic response is to hide. So the next time I went back, I thought, okay, I got to know how much Popia costs and I'm going to have, I'm willing to have a conversation with her. I, I didn't react before because I didn't want to cause a stir. It was then kind of a hawker self. So, again, we're constantly negotiating in this process. I know why Paul says he dies daily because that's what it takes to yeah. figure out how to live in this life and in this broken body in a way that is genuine and real. So, yeah, it's no small task. It's worth it, but it's no small task. <laughs> and forgive me, but you're kind of like the expert, and you wrestle with this, right? <laughs> oh man, I said, that's why I start off, and whenever I'm talking about it, I, I'll I tell, it. I quickly tell a story because it's there are no experts in this process. This is human struggling with growing up and maturing, and and the reason yeah. I speak on it is because I think it's so key for our maturity. Uh, particularly as leaders, that if they can manage tension and create enough tension to keep people engaged, but not so much tension that it steps over into stress or conflict, then we've got a maximum opportunity to be effective and engaged and to grow and develop our people and our systems at work. But it takes work, and it, it, it is hard work. And it's scary, right? I mean, it's risky oh, because man. We, we can hurt people's feelings, we can get hurt and those oh, things. Yeah. But 
But isn't that, Matt, isn't this really, though, where great breakthroughs occur, where new ideas and new concepts and, oh, yeah. and, and new levels of relationship when we take these risks? Is that what yeah. you have found to be the case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you said it. I, I'm not sure I could say it any better. Until you take a risk personally and step outside of your safe, which means to show up and be present and to say what needs to be said and to hear what needs to be said from the other, there's going to be no change. One of the examples that I use in my company is if you can't talk about it, you can't change it. So that's kind of a defining aspect of my company. If you can talk about it, you can change it. If you can't talk about it, you can change it. Uh, it's no more complicated than that. Let's say that somebody's listening to our conversation right now, and I'm going to go away from business just for a moment because this yeah. is a universal applicable concept we're talking about. That's right. Let's say they've, they've got a... a, a something going on in their marriage or yeah. something going on with one of their children or, or a close friend. Oh, yeah. And there's just this underlying tension there and yeah. the silence is growing, the, yeah. the distance is growing, and they just can't bring themselves to bring it up because it's just that pain point or here we go again. Coach us through that. Help us understand not only how but why we need to have that difficult conversation? Yeah. So the, the first difficult conversation really that you have to have is not with someone else, but with yourself. Okay. And you got to bring God into it. And you, and you got to, we've got to create an interface between our head and our heart. And most of the things we're dealing with are not rational, they're emotional. And the Bible says that where your treasures are, there will your heart speak be also. And the, the way that our values speak out of the treasures of our heart is through our emotions. So the emotions are really where our values. And a lot of those core pieces inside of us go. So the first conversation is I have to have, have with myself. And I've got to go deep enough to say, I'm afraid. Well, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Well, where did I learn that if I show up, I'm going to disappoint you? And once I kind of get to those roots and I label and name those feelings and define them and bring God into them and the truth of him and says, Jesus became a disappointment so that I don't have to ever fear disappointing God or anybody else. And I, and, and I have a... a specific place to apply faith in this situation. Then when I walk into the situation, keeping one eye on God, I can begin to say, I, I need to have a conversation. And first, let me, let me share what I'm afraid of and create vulnerability from my perspective. Because what we're really trying to do in those difficult, difficult conversations is to change someone else. But you can't change someone else. Mm, yeah. And if you talk about family systems theory, what you're really talking about is whoever, whoever changes in that change, changes the whole family. And that's, that's that leverage point that I have. The way I can change the family is by changing myself. And it sounds simple and ridiculous because we want them to change, but that's where the kingdom starts. It takes some real courage too, right? To have that real conversation with yourself. Oh man, it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's revealing, but it goes back to understanding our own limitations, that we are broken, and that we have giftedness to bring to the conversation. Amen. Well said. That's right. Well, you said it. Well, <laughs> that's, you said that's it well. fantastic. That's great. Matt, I want to just transition uh, to kind of the last section of our conversation, what we call our advice and insights section. So yeah. as you look back over the course of your own leadership, career, and so forth, what yeah. would you say is a really big mistake that you may have made along the way? And what lesson did you learn or what did God teach you as a result of it? Yeah. Well, the the simplest story it gives an example of this. I was running down the road and some other people were walking towards me and I didn't want to stop the run. So I kind of casually turned around and started the other way. And when I had done that, 
I felt like there was this divine God spoke to me and he said, Matt, you're not running from them. You're running from yourself. And, and the thing that was so disruptive in my walk with God over these years was thinking that other people were making me feel something and rather than recognizing that I'm not running from them, I'm running from myself. And if I'll just own up to what's inside of me and own up and then bring God into that, that I will then slowly grow in my ability to be present, engaged, and speak and to hear in an authentic, real way. And, and I, I think that's mm-hmm. the... That's really a key for me in this process. I, I spent so many years running for myself, and it took me so long that nobody could really kind of help me slow down and walk through myself. So a lot of it's just been a working in different cultures and different places and going, okay, God, I'm a human being, and I'm in this culture, and I've got gifts, and I've got broken pieces, and I've got limitations. Where are you in these three things in my life? And then how do I learn to walk you into it? And that's that's where, I mean, at a, at a very personal level, when I was a little boy, I was sexually used by a neighbor next door. And that created kind of a bent and a twist in the mm. center of my soul. And uh, so it's been unpacking that, uh, slowly kind of unraveling God at work and who I am and, and dealing with shame and beginning to own my life and to say, no, this is my life and I get to live the way I want. And my one responsibility is to love God. And uh, everything else he's got to have to figure out and worry about on his side of the process. Wow. I love that. I, I wrote that down. Just I've got to own up to what's inside of me. And, and as you said, you weren't in that situation. You weren't running from those individuals. You were running from, from yourself myself. and the things yeah. that, that, that God was trying to shape in your character. And I think that yeah. somebody listening to this conversation, just that, that was a real bullseye for them as well is to really take a look deep inside. If you were to go back and you could sit across the table from the 20-year-old version of you, and you're sitting across from 20-year-old Matt Rollins, what advice or what counsel would you give to the 20-year-old you? Well, I'd tell him, follow your heart. Trust your heart. (laughs) Not the deceitful side of your heart, not the broken side of your heart, but Follow the love that you have in your heart for something bigger than yourself and follow your inclinations. Trust yourself. God is for you and and he's going to work it out. And uh, I would just speak reassurance to this young, insecure 20-year-old who doesn't know who he is, who's running from everything around him, you know, who's known how to disappear. I wanted to say, listen, trust your heart. God is so much bigger than you, and you're going to fall in love with him, and you're going to love him more than you could possibly imagine, and you're going to run through some rough spots, and it's going to be awkward and difficult, and it's going to scare the crap out of you, but you're going to make it, and it's going to be good, and it's worth it all, so don't give up. That is really good, and that's a great segue then into the last question, Matt, that I ask every guest here at at Bottom Life Faith. It's the same one. It's what I call my 423 question, where Solomon writes, above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. So as we kind of wind down our conversation here, would you just fill in the blank? What is your above all else advice? In other words, you get a chance to tell our audience, hey, if you don't remember anything but this, above all else? Well, the heart piece for me is God is worthy. Um, above all else, you know, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive the reward of the suffering. Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive honor and glory and blessing and power. And that word worthy is such a powerful word that when we 
when we cat when we see something that has great value, it captures our heart. And that above all else, remember he's worthy of your life. And that puts everything in back in perspective immediately for me. And periodically I have to do that. Remember, Matt, he's worthy. And then I get that and it's gonna be okay. Wow. That is powerful. I don't know that we've ever heard that on Bottom Line Faith. I, I, we've had some incredible answers, but that's going to be right at the top for me. Just he's worthy of it all. Yeah. That's your above all else piece. Thank you. Well, Dr. Matt Rollins, founder of Green Bench Consulting, Broken Top Leadership, and author of 16 books on life and leadership. And one more time, Matt, what's the best way for our audience to uh, find you or to check you out further? Well, on the Christian side, if they go to brokentopleadership.com or matthewrollins.org or thegreenbench.com, either one of those will kind of get you in my direction. Uh, my, and, you know, they can email me, mrollins at mac.com. Um, any of those will kind of point them in a direction to for a conversation if they're interested or writing or any of the things that we're talking about, Ray. That's fantastic. And the spelling there, folks, is R-A-W-L-I-N, as in Nancy, S as in Sam. Dr. Matt Rollins, thank you so much for being here with us at Bottom Line Faith. It's been a pleasure, Ray. God bless you. Well, folks, what an amazing conversation we just had with Dr. Matt Rollins from Singapore founder of Green Bench Consulting, Broken Top Leadership, and author of 16 books. And, you know, as I'm looking at my page of notes here, th- there are some really great nuggets there. And in talking about the importance of tension in effective leadership and understanding the difference between tension and conflict, how important it is to look inside ourselves when we find ourselves Uh, interacting with people who are different than us or situations that are challenging us that we can't be made to feel anything. We have to, as he described it, we have to own up for ourselves. We have to own up to what's inside of us, those feelings of inadequacy and uncertainty and fear and doubt. That is God's way of shaping our character and forming us as leaders. And then I loved his above all else advice about Worthy is God. God is worthy of it all, and he can be trusted with it all as well, even all those insecurities. And then those three aspects of humility, understanding that we're finite with limitations, we are broken as people, and we have a gift to bring into every situation. What a rich, incredible conversation we've had today with Dr. Matt Rollins. And that's what we're about here at Bottom Line Faith, eternal business in real life. And that's what we talked about today, are these eternal biblical principles being lived out, being played out in real life, in business, in leadership, in our homes, in families. And that is what we're about at Truth That Works. So I want to thank you for joining us on today's program. Hey, here's how you can help if you're interested. Why don't you go online, give us a review. That really helps us to spread the word. And the more reviews we get, the more commentaries we get, the more people can find us. That's how you can help us. So until next time, I am your host at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith every day in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 